Well, good morning. I hope you've come excited to worship the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. We are in a series started last week called The Doubters Club, and today's topic is Leaving Christianity, kind of an ironic title, I assume. Um, we're excited when we see people being baptized. We're excited when we see people come to become Jesus followers and made that commitment, made that decision. Maybe you can remember back when you did, and if you haven't, we, we pray that someday you will, but if, when you think back to when it happened in your life and the excitement it, it brought to you and those around you, your loved ones, etc. So that's really exciting. But some people are not choosing to follow Christ. Some people are doing what? They're choosing not to follow Jesus anymore. Um, they did for a while, for some reason, and, and now they decided not to. Now... My wife and I have always been a little weird. Uh, you can ask our children. Uh, back in the 80s, uh, when our, we had our first two children, um, it got to uh, time when Josh was supposed to go to kindergarten, and we decided we were going to homeschool. Now, most people know about homeschooling now or home-educating people now. You know how many people knew about it in the 80s? Nobody. In fact, even my mother-in-law thought we were crazy to doing that to her grandkids. So we started home educated, we did our kids all the way through. We've always eaten a little strange, you can ask Josh about that too. As a kid, he couldn't eat sugar, can you imagine? Kid not eating sugar, we didn't think sugar was a no-no, white flour, we had, my wife wasn't an expert at making whole wheat bread back then, so it was kind of like a rock, <laughs> and that's the bread we were eating. But anyway, we've always been a little weird. But raising our kids in a homeschooling environment, they had friends that were also homeschoolers. And so they would hang out, and they would hang out at our house a lot. And so they became, um, we became close to us. And most of them were Jesus followers as teenagers and children. But some of them now, as adults, are no longer Jesus followers. They've decided, for whatever reason, they're not going to follow Jesus anymore. And so that's, that's a little painful to us that are still Jesus followers that we wish that hadn't happened, but it does. Now, rather than condemn them, I want us to focus on us. Uh, we as the church, I think we did a better job <laughs> of representing Jesus than these kids would probably be, most likely not, uh, reject that Jesus. So we're going to look at a, uh, I could call him a complicated guy in Scripture, everybody's complicated, I guess, by the name of Peter. Now, this incident we're going to look at happened right after Jesus fed the 5,000. Can, can you imagine how exhausting that would have been? Well, it's more than 5,000, 5,000 men. Um, uh, how exhausting would it have been for Jesus and the disciples? So Jesus sends the crowd home. He puts the disciples in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and then he goes up on the mountainside, hillside, and, and prays. So that's where we're going to pick up the text. This is in Matthew chapter 14. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves in the Sea of Galilee. Now, we were there a few years ago, and it's, you can see a cross. I don't know what it means by far away from land, but uh, it was a dangerous situation. About 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they said, Hey, Jesus, great, nice to meet you, right? Like, Come help us. No, 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 no. That wasn't the reaction at all. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified, scared to death. Why? Because they feared they were 
it was a ghost. Now, there was a stronger belief in ghosts back then than I think there is now today. But um, anybody ever seen anybody walking across water at 3 o'clock in the morning? Uh, no, no. So it was logical for them to be, be afraid. And, of course, Jesus didn't want to be afraid. He came to help. So Jesus spoke to them at once. <clears throat> Next passage. Don't be afraid. You're afraid, but you don't need to be afraid. Why don't you need to be afraid? It says, take courage, I am here. Uh, those are your parents. When your kids are small, especially, and they get afraid, and you would sit them on your lap or whatever or lay in bed with them, and, you, and they didn't need to be afraid anymore. Why? Because mommy or daddy or grandpa or grandpa was, was with them. So they no longer needed to be afraid. And Jesus said, disciples, you don't need to be afraid anymore. I, I'm with you. And you and I don't need to be afraid because Jesus... Uh, is with us. Now, what happens next? Well, Peter calls out to him, Lord, if it's really you, I'm not sure, you, you claim to be Jesus, but, you know, it's a little weird. Tell me to come to you walking on the water. Now, first off, if you were sitting in that boat and came, Jesus came crossing, walking across the water, would you ask, hey, can I get out of the boat and come walk with you? Anybody? I'm not doing that. That's just kind of, kind of strange. So I don't understand why Peter asked in the first place. And then I'm not quite sure why Jesus responded the way he did. What was Jesus' response? No, you're, you're crazy. You can't walk on water. Only I can. No, he said, what? Jesus said, come. Come on. Come on. <laughs> you want to walk on water? Come on and walk with water. So what's Peter do? Now, I'm picturing myself on this boat. And I see Peter... Get it going over the side of the boat. I don't know what the other disciples were thinking, but it must have been uh, awesome, weird, whatever. So Peter went over the side of the boat, text goes on, and walking on the water toward Jesus. All right, so anybody else walked on water? Sometimes we're tough on Peter because he didn't go very far, but he walked on water. None of us have ever done that. Probably nobody else has done that. But when he saw the strong winds and the waves, he was terrified. Now, evidently he wasn't terrified when he got out of the boat and started walking. But at some point, he took his eyes off of Jesus. He noticed the trouble that he was in. <laughs> Big trouble. Walking on water, right? And he began to sink. Now, he must not have went, because the story doesn't make sense if he did. So he must have slowly started to sink, which really must have been weird, right? He shouldn't have been afraid. I'm sure he could swim. But anyway, he began, and then what's he do? Save me, Lord, he shouted. Just like you and I when we were in trouble. What do, who do we cry out to? We cry out to the Lord, right? And that's what he did. Now, Jesus could have said, oh, Peter, you lost your faith. Go ahead and sink. What's the matter with you? No, that's not what Jesus did for him. That's not what Jesus does for you and I in that situation when we are frightened. Jesus immediately... So consequently, he must have not sunk fast because Jesus had actual time to grab a hold of him. He reached out and grabbed him. <clears throat> just like when you and I are failing, when you and I are struggling, um, we just got to call out and Jesus will reach out to us, right? But then he says this to him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you what? Doubt me. Why did you out me. Now, I assumed something last week that I didn't check. So, hands. 
How many of you have ever, they're Jesus followers. How many of you have ever doubted? Raise your hand. I'm going to find the person that doesn't raise their hand. I'm still looking for that person. I haven't found that person yet. Tim, you put your hand up. Oh, it's over there. Okay. <laughs> I know you better. <laughs> all right. So, all of us are doubters, have doubted. All of us have been in the doubters club. A group this size, some of you are in that club today. You're still here, but you're still in that, in that club. So, a little review. We said last week, doubts don't disqualify your faith. If you doubt, it doesn't automatically, automatically mean that you're not a believer or a Jesus follower. Jesus followers have doubts. We all raised our hand, right? <clears throat> so, consequently, what is doubt? So, I'm going to say it this way. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is the means to push through the doubt to even deeper or stronger faith. Just so, just because you and I might have doubts doesn't mean we've lost our salvation, lost our connection to God. Um, it means that there is an issue that we need to deal with and need to resolve. We said it last week this way. Faith is a journey. Right? I, you know, faith isn't a destination where, where I will you know, accomplish it. I've, I've got faith now. It's no big deal anymore. I've just got it. No, it's on your outline. Faith is a journey, not a destination. <clears throat> now, Anything that happens to you and I as Jesus followers, God wants to use it, right? So one outcome of the doubts you and I hopefully go through and come out on the positive side is that we can help other people that go through the same doubt because we've been there. I said, I've been there, done that. Here's what helped me or here's how I got through it. So I mentioned last week some reasons, some big reasons why, why we might have doubts. So I'll just go through those again. First reason, questions you can't answer. They can be <clears throat> Bible questions, you know, it says this in one place, this someplace else. You know, I, I, I don't have the answer. Um, it could be uh, science questions. I'm going to take a whole week and talk about science and, and, and faith. You know, science says this, but Bible seems to say this. Science is fact, so I can't believe this over here. And I think we'll find out that's not true. But anyway, uh, that's the way our minds work sometimes. So um, we might have questions we can't answer. So we start to doubt. Um, I went to seminary a long time ago. But when I went to seminary, you were required to take what's called an Old Testament survey class. It was actually two semesters. And a class called New Testament survey class, another two semesters. So I had this, you know, I'm this young guy, uh, ministerial student. I'm in seminary, and uh, my Old Testament freshman gets up and said, well, that story about Jonah and the, and the big fish, well, that was just a parable. That was just a story. Now, this, I'm in seminary, all right? And I just believe everything. I'm dumb enough to believe everything is in here, right? And so uh, I, I couldn't understand that. And uh, it didn't, I didn't come to believe that it was a story. I continued to believe it was true. I mean, Jesus made reference to it, right? So Seemed to be true to me. So we can find doubts even in the strangest places, if you will. Um, situations that can seem unfair. I tell you about these all the time. I read and pray for the persecuted church every day. Something specific, something different. One day this week, in, in my, Myanmar, however you say their country, uh, this, Christians were in this building and they just bombed the building because there were Christians in there. And this one couple 
their five-year-old daughter was killed and their infant was in critical condition. Now, I, 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 that's not fair. What, what, how, how is that fair? That these terrible things happen to people that are Christians in all these other parts of the world. Um, so it might be that you were, suffered abuse growing up or suffered abuse in a marriage situation or you're, you, know, you did the best you did, could in your marriage and your spouse left you. Uh, it's not fair, right? It's so easy for us to think. So good God, bad things doesn't seem, seem to, to work out. Then there's hurts that you can't resolve. It might be there's hurts from abuse or um, uh, somebody that claimed to be a believer mistreated you, um, whatever it might be. You can't reconcile a good God with, with that abuse. And then, of course, actions of some believers. <clears throat> some believers just aren't very nice. And it's kind of confusing. We had a, about twice a year, we have a neighborhood get-together. And we live out in the country, so it's not like in a development. But we have a, one neighbor that's very gracious, has a barn. And, and so we had a huge crowd, the biggest crowd we ever had yesterday. And it, when I'm with this crowd, some of them believe or some of them aren't, I'm always, a, not amazed, but I'm always pleasantly surprised. The people just, our neighbors are just some nice people. They don't have to be believers to be nice people. And then I know some believers, and probably you do too, just aren't very nice. And so we can't reconcile those two things. So there's, there's just some of the reasons why you and I may have had doubts over the years or, or, or right now. So back to, to Jesus' address to Peter. He said, why have you so little faith? Why do you doubt me? Now, when he said, why do you doubt me? What do you think was the intonation of Jesus' voice for a better way to put it. You say, Peter, what's the matter with you? Why did you doubt me? You see me walking on water? You even walked on water a little bit. You think that was Jesus' response? I don't think so. So instead of this being an accusation, what if this question isn't an accusation? I put this on your outline. But an invitation. An invitation to Jesus. Now we have to understand, anytime we deal with Jesus, we have to understand his character. Now, can you imagine Jesus belittling Peter in that situation? I, not the Jesus I see in the New Testament. I, I, I can't see that. So what is he doing? Well, he's trying to get Peter to, to learn something, to grow, to mature to this situation. Um, Peter, don't you remember just yesterday? We, we had this huge miracle. We fed 5,000 people and... and, and Adults and, and their kids uh, and, and spouses. Uh, Peter, don't you remember when I turned water into wine? Don't you remember when I, this, this lame person walked and this blind person could see? Don't you remember, Peter? We just sang a song about remember, right? So I don't think he belittled Peter. And like I said, he was the only one to get out of the boat. <laughs> None of the other disciples had enough faith to get out of the boat and walk. So I put this on the outline. Jesus came to Peter right where he was. He met Peter in his doubt. Just like God meets you and I in our doubt. He doesn't belittle us. He doesn't say, get away from me. So when we're in doubt, it's not a time to panic. It's a time to process. It's a time to, to think. It's a time to, to dialogue with other people. Now, there's a term that's been, pop, been popular the last few years, and it, and it 
fits in this context, I believe. It's called spiritual deconstruction. You heard that term? There's all kinds of emotion around it, so I want to kind of clarify my position on it. So what is spiritual deconstruction? Is it something horrible? Is it something terrible? Is it something wrong? Well, I want to suggest to you it's something healthy. I want to suggest to you that everybody here has actually done that. Now, here's where it becomes a problem. And let me use this illustration. If you go to a restaurant and get bad food or bad service, do you stop going to restaurants? Anybody? No, you just maybe stop going to that restaurant. So if you find something in the Christendom (laughs) that you believe that you don't believe anymore, you don't leave Christianity, do you? Simple question. How many of you believe something differently now than you used to believe spiritually? Raise your hand. Everybody got their hand up? All right. Every one of you, I think, unless I miss somebody. So either you were right then and you're wrong now, or you were wrong then and you're right now. So you deconstructed that belief. You might say reconstructed a different belief, right? So all of us have done it. It, Hopefully it's a good thing. The new belief is better, sounder, more correct than the old belief. So here's kind of my definition. It should be a sincere examination of your beliefs to let go of what's untrue so you can hold on to what is true, not just get rid of it all. Ask yourself the question, is something I believe contrary to God's heart? I'll talk about this in in, in a few minutes. Lots of times it comes down what we call legalism, you know, these do's and don'ts. Anyway, to prove that this is biblical, let me go back to the Sermon on the Mount with you. So Jesus is preaching this amazing sermon. And right, even the way we've recorded, it's in the fifth chapter of Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So this is closer to the beginning than it is to the end of his sermon. And uh, he starts out, five times he says this. You've heard it been said or heard the law said. Don't put that up there yet. It'll confuse people. (laughs) First one was what? Anybody remember which first one was? He said, you shouldn't murder people. But I say to you, if you have hate in your heart, it's a sin. Deconstruct. Reconstruct. Second one, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say to you, if you have lust in your heart, you could have committed adultery. Deconstruct, reconstruct, right? Third one, you've heard you can divorce, uh, men could divorce women for almost any reason. He said, no, 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 just for uh, unfaithfulness. You've heard it said, the fourth one was an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. He said, no, 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 no. <laughs> Turn the other cheek when somebody hits you, hits you on your cheek. And then this was the fifth one, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago. <clears throat> bring it up now. You can bring it up now. Uh, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. We need to deconstruct that. But I say, love your enemies. That's a big reconstruction, isn't it? And pray for those who persecute you. I want to look at a specific incident uh, with Peter, between Peter and Jesus. So Jesus is always teaching his disciples, and this one time, he's, he, he's teaching them about what's going to happen. 
He's, he's just laying it out there. And scripture says plainly. So let's pull that up. From then on, Jesus began to t- tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to do what? Go to Jerusalem. That was where the most dangerous place was for them. That he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, teachers of religious law. So I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer greatly. That's not the end of it. He, me, Jesus, will be killed. And I think the disciples stopped listening at this point. Because <clears throat> he said, but on the third day, he'll raise from the dead. So this next part I have to laugh at. So Peter says, hey, Jesus, come here. I need to uh, correct you. Do you and I ever correct Jesus? We, yeah, we tell him sometimes. We don't like what he says, right? Peter takes him aside and began to reprimand him. Can you imagine saying such a thing? Heaven forbid, or God forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. What's he saying? Now, this isn't my plan for you. My plan for you is to become, set up an earthly kingdom so I can be your right-hand man. I, I want to be important. I don't want you to die. You're the Messiah. The Messiah doesn't die, not in their theology at the time. Right? So, Peter says, okay, Peter, we'll go do it your way. No, Jesus turned to Peter and he said, get away from me, Satan. You're trying to get me to do something other than what God wants me to do. You're a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, and not from God's. You don't know how this is all going to work. You don't know how important this is. You don't know how necessary this is. I die for your sins as well as everybody else's sins. Peter didn't see that, did he? So I put on the outline, Peter, Jesus said to Peter, you, you, you thought victory was coming through conquest. I was going to set up an earthly kingdom. That's what you think. Victory's coming, but it's not coming that way. You'll achieve victory through sacrifice. I will. So, how do we build a belief system that we don't deconstruct? Right? A belief system that's true. How do you identify truth as opposed to untruth? Now, most of you, if you're Jesus followers, you're going to say right here, right? In this book. That's where we find truth, right? That's where we find truth. Now, that's only partially true. It's not really completely true. Because all of us read this book through our filters. Our filters are experiences. Churches that we've, you know, if you've been to other denominational churches that have different beliefs. If your family you grew up in had different beliefs. Um, some families, you know, you're only a Jesus follower if you're, you vote red or you vote blue. There's all these filters we have when we read this, right? And our filters change, and that's why sometimes now we believe something differently than we used to believe. Now, that said, good news is this. Most of what you and I believe is right. I would suggest to you, I know some of you pretty well, I would say most of what you believe is right. Uh, Hopefully none of us would be arrogant enough to think that we believe everything right. So that means there's something I believe that most likely is not right. That's okay. So I put on the outline simply, everything you believe about God may not be true. Or it wasn't once upon a time at least, because you changed 
We all did. And there's all kinds of, I call them silly illustrations. My wife had a, uh, an aunt visit her from Louisiana this week. And she's uh, from a good Pentecostal church. And she's asking us, you know, pastor and pastor wife questions. In fact, I don't remember the last time I met this lady. A uh, long time ago. She said, okay, our church had this social. And the pastor's wife and some of the other ladies were playing cards. Do you think that was right? And they weren't playing for money. But I just don't think, you know, card playing and church should go together. I got asked this question a long time ago one time. Not, not to play cards at church, but just, just to play playing cards. And we've, we've all had those lists, you know. Uh, ladies, once upon a time, you, depending on what church you went to, you couldn't wear pants, right? I'd had those, those uh, sometimes we can say you can't wear pants, but I mean, guys can still wear pants. It's just ladies. Ladies can't wear pants. Um, give you a personal experience. The church I grew up in, a Baptist church, we had a church covenant in the back of a hymn book. And it had all these do's and don'ts on it. It's kind of interesting to think about now. But one of them was, you know, you couldn't partake, buy, or sell alcoholic beverages. So if you were going to be a good Southern Baptist, according to that church, you didn't do that. Now, smoking was kind of frowned upon, but believers in the church smoked, my dad being one of them. So we become missionaries, most of you know, to Portugal. We get to Portugal, and uh, lo and behold, the Baptists in Portugal used wine during communion. And teenagers up drank alcohol. And, uh, but nobody in the church smoked. So, what are we talking about? We're talking about incidentals. We're talking about legalism. In fact, one of the guys in the, in the early church, uh, first church service, he calls himself a recovering legalist. And probably all of us are. We had these do's and don'ts once upon a time and and hopefully through experience and God's dealing with us, we, just, we figured out, no, you can still be a Christian to do that or not do that, whatever it might be. I mean, listen, you can't, you can't dance. You can't go to movies. Depending on your background, you, you've, you've heard all these, right? <clears throat> so, summarize. When you discover parts of what you believe aren't true, what do you do? You don't leave faith. You don't become an unbeliever. You simply pursue what is true. I'm trying to illustrate it this way. If you've got some, some, uh, some damage or, or you've got some, some stuff in your house that's kind of worn out, do you tear your house down? Somebody back here is going to do some remodeling of a kitchen. Kitchen needs remodeling. You don't tear the house down. What? You deconstruct what's there and reconstruct something better, right? Exact same thing you and I need to do with our faith. So, how do you build your belief system? Through this book, right? Now, I want to give you a filter. I, I'm going to suggest a filter for you, okay? Always read the Bible through the lens or the filter of the love of Jesus. Would Jesus say that? Would Jesus do that? Would Jesus treat people that way? Because one, one of the problems we have with legalism is this, and I put this also in your outline. What is your goal? What is your goal? And a legalist, our goal is to do what? I'm going I'm to be right. I know this is truth, and I'm going to believe it. And if you don't believe it, there's something wrong with you. I might even be able to associate with you. 
It's to be loving. You know what Jesus told us? It all boils down to love. So, doubt is not the enemy of faith. It's an invitation to a deeper faith. It's an invitation to grow. It's an invitation to to mature. It's an invitation to uh, draw closer to God, to have a greater understanding of God. So, this next steps, I put the same thing I did last week. I'm sure some of you didn't get around to doing that. So, I encourage you to do that. And uh, hopefully, that will be an encouragement to you as you uh, deal with your doubts. Let me pray with you. Uh, Father God, doubt's a big deal to us. In fact, sometimes it's a really big deal. Sometimes we get to a place where we don't even know this, all this Christianity stuff is real. In fact, some of us, or maybe some are watching, are on the verge of leaving it behind. Or maybe we did at one point in our lives, and now we reconstructed it. And some of it's, it hurts, God. The confusion, it just hurts. And we doubt why you, a good God, would let this happen to us. So I pray that we would use our doubts to grow our faith, to clarify and improve our theology, if you will, that we become more loving. God, because people are deconstructing their faith. Even some pastors are, are leaving the faith. What has happened that would cause us to do that? What could be so big that it, it would cause us to forget that you love us and you sacrificed your life for us? So God, we don't want to belittle anybody's doubts, but we pray that they will go through that and come out stronger, better on the other side. If it's one way we can help, God, show us that way. As always, if you've lived your life, all your life in doubt, if you're here or you're watching, I pray we'd seriously weigh out, examine, talk to folks. Christianity is too serious to just kind of leave hanging. We pray. And if you make that decision to follow Jesus to, to end that doubt, at least temporarily. We want to pray for you. We want to help you come alongside you. Please let us know about that. Father God, we thank you that you reach out and take hold of us in our doubt. You don't push us away. Thank you for such great love. In Jesus' name, amen.